Welcome back. Or welcome to Modern Medieval, the podcast. Yes, I'm Megan. And I'm Ello. This week, we are going to be talking a bit about the origins of Easter because it is that time of year. Also, because Easter, as we will discuss in this podcast, has relationships to the Jewish faith. Mm -hmm. And due to our conversation last week with our guest, Sarah If Decker, the assistant professor at Rhodes College, she, you know, studies Jewish history Mm -hmm. and its relationship to the medieval. So we thought, oh, this is also kind of a extension of looking not just exclusively at Christianity. Of course, this will still probably be like an 80, 20, 75 (laughs) Christian Jewish, but to acknowledge like, oh, it's not just Western or any sort of Christianity. And yeah, last week's conversation was great. So cool. She is so cool. Yeah, hopefully you enjoyed it. And if you haven't listened, please do give it a listen. She's so articulate and lovely. And it was a great, great honor. Our guests have been crushing it. Yeah, definitely have. And also I feel like if you're thinking about doing research or wonder what being a researcher is like, that's kind of a good entry point to kind of figure out what researchers do. Yeah, her talk and then to like up it to the next level would be our conversation with Professor emeritus Stephen Murray yeah gosh he's so cool <laughs> yeah and I guess with uh Sarah if Decker she's still kind of in the first years of yeah. starting I mean I believe she got her PhD in around 2007 2010 something right so she's been in the game for a while but not not in the same five time. decades right and yeah. then we have Stephen Murray who is recently retired and yeah. in that like post professor but always professor you know relationships yeah. so they are like a nice pairing I and would think. Al- yeah and also like he started being his researching career kind of like in a different time and different circumstances to Sarah in a way yeah so, so, so different she's that she's more in line with how it could be now yeah for future academic yes definitely 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 so yeah, we're excited to talk about Easter also because just the timing was perfect. Yeah, yeah. And Do you, Have you celebrated Easter a lot in your life or is it one of those, how have you celebrated before we dive into the history of it? <laughs> so with Easter, I mean, as a child, I'm assuming I went to like an Easter mass because my grandfather was an Episcopal priest. Yes, and I went to like Sunday school. So if I didn't go to mass, I'm pretty sure I went to Sunday school and did something with Easter egg hunts and yeah. bunnies and Jesus you know, <laughs> ascending or rising from the dead. I, I love the, the combination chocolate, Easter, bunnies and Jesus. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense historically in a way, but and we'll get to that. But yeah. Um, I mean, I did Easter egg hunts. I remember those like with family and me being super competitive. It was always like, yeah, get all of them. But in the past few years, I have not. I'll probably I'll share later. I was in Poland two years ago during Easter. So I'll bring that up when we talk more about traditions. Yeah. But it's not something that I mentally celebrate. I'm just like, oh, Easter eggs are now in Tesco. Tis the season. I am going to buy 50. <laughs> I am unashamed. I don't think there's anything to be ashamed of. And then I just try to eat as many as I can before they sell out and are gone until next year. Fair enough. How about you, Elo? Do, what's your relationship? Um, so 
when I was little, we'd go, I mean, actually until my grandfather was alive, um, mm-hmm. we would go back to my dad's hometown and then we'd go for a big Sunday lunch. And depending on which uncle was home at that time, we would go to the to church or not. And obviously there's like, we, like, I don't know if you've seen them, like the really big eggs that tends to be Easter eggs. Like they're really big and have like paillettes and stuff. And they're very like elaborate. That tends to be a thing that um, you eat in Italy. So I'd get one of those or my cousins would get one of those. And then sometimes they try and hide them, but they're so big that you'd find them right away. (laughs) What are they made out of? Um, They're like just a huge egg. And then inside there's a gift. Okay, so it's not like an ostrich egg. It's like a... Like it's a chocolate egg. Oh, okay, okay. That's co- like that's put together. Sorry. Gotcha. <laughs> okay, I was like, is this a giant ostrich egg that's died? Or is <laughs> no, it no, a no, no. plastic egg or a no, no, no. It's egg? A, it's a massive chocolate egg and inside you have like a little gift. Um, okay. And traditionally, just because this is, seems to be my life, like I know all celebrations based on the culinary thing that you have um and so you have a colomba which is like a baked good mm-hmm. um in the shape of um of a bird oh cool and yeah. yeah that's that's been my my history <laughs> yeah I mean I guess since you just talked about kind of like your Italian I'll just I'll, I guess I'll mention the Polish now so yeah oh. two because they do baskets and so I feel like that might be oh that's good. so cool yeah so um what year are we 2021 so 2019 uh I went to Poland for research for my um, MSCR Edinburgh because I was doing Polish studies there and I guess this is a testament to how aware I am of Easter when I scheduled my flights I did not realize I was scheduling to be in Poland during Holy Week and Easter weekend and after. Wow. So, and like Poland, of course, is an extremely Catholic country. So I should have had that on my radar. <laughs> and it just 0% was. So, I mean, the first few days, yeah, I was in Warsaw. It was like fine. That was during the, the trip during when Notre Dame caught on fire. Mm. Because I remember I was watching Fleabag season two because it had released in Poland, but not the UK yet. So I like bought it and was watching that and then getting all these updates that like, yeah. Was on fire um so like I, just, I remember that um <laughs> and then you know once I was in Poland I was like oh shit I'm here during Easter is anything going to be open for my research purposes? yeah you know that's going to be my question to you um and I wasn't going to not go because I bought the tickets Ryanair unrefundable yeah and because I was doing poster studies I needed to go to the uh poster museum okay so I like went in uh, I think that like Wednesday or Thursday walked in and the museum technically wasn't open because they were organizing for a new exhibition. Right. And the ladies at the front desk didn't really speak English, but I had emailed and I was like, I need, I need Mikhail. I need the librarian. So he came down and was lovely and, you know, brought me up and we had a chat and organized that I would come the following week. He, he was like, you know, yes, this isn't the best time because we're doing the exhibition and it's Easter, but like you're here, we're excited for your research. Um, so if you come next week, we'll open the library for you. Um, oh, that's really so sweet. nice. Um, I mean, everyone in my experience, like in Poland has been nothing but like nice and encouraging and oh. trying to speak, you know, Polish. I'll be like, oh, can I have a cup of coffee and I order it in Polish? And they'll get really excited and be like, 
like with all the different like milk options and i'll just stand there and be like anyways so but so like the way that i had organized my airbnbs was the first like four days i was in warsaw and then i was going to take the train to krakow to go to um the poster gallery and hopefully the krakow national museum there right and so first of all just getting on the train that Friday was fucking chaos mm. because everyone was getting ready to go home oh, yeah. for Easter. Oh my god! So was and, it like really cramped and like competitive? Yeah, getting and I seat? got yelled at by a Polish woman because she was like, "You're in my seat," and I was like, "No, this is my reserved seat." But because I don't speak Polish, you know, all I could do was really kind of say like the letter. I think it was like ah, and then twenty two. Don't remember how to say that in Polish. And she turned, she's like, no, this is mine. And I was like, it's the wrong car. You're in the next one. <laughs> Luckily, a lady that sat next to me could understand and was doing both. But yeah, like, oh, oh me on the verge of tears getting yelled at. Because <laughs> uh, she was being so aggressive. And that yeah. is something where if they think that you can't speak the language, and this is anywhere, this is not just Poland. I mean, it happens in France. I, unfortunately, I bet we do it here as well, where you're just kind of like, no, and hope that they leave. Yeah. So that was like, you know, the first 20 minutes of the two and a half hour train ride. And I was like, oh my God, this is going to be terrifying. <laughs> but I got into Krakow fine and they do. So in the cathedral square, they have an Easter market. Oh, and I've never been to one of those. They're like Christmas markets, you know, right. handmade goods and everything. It's just for Easter and everything's decorated and flowers. It was beautiful. I thought about getting like one of the the flower crowns, but mm-hmm. um, I didn't have the proper amount of water to do it. But mm-hmm. things were popping, you know, people were out and about. And I was like, I have to purchase enough food and such because things I don't, I don't know what it's going to be like yeah. for the weekend. Yeah. And walking around, I mean, Krakow is beautiful. It's a very medieval looking city. A lot of its history has been like maintained look wise. It has the castle um and then it's- I wonder what it's like to live in that kind of environment because obviously like you know when um like having a living in a building that's so has so much history I wonder if it like in a way permeates the way you live I don't know if that makes sense I think it depends on where you are I mean it's probably like equivalent to living in Florence it's very tourist oriented mm-hmm. there's the university in Krakow uh Jagiellonian yeah. which is a medieval established university it's one of the biggest Polish universities but yeah walking through the square I saw these people with these baskets Mm -hmm. full of things and I was I didn't like know what was going on so in the Polish tradition you make an Easter basket and so you know you go to the booths and you collect what's put in it so they usually contain ham sausage eggs a sugar lamb sometimes they could be plastic but traditionally they're sugar Mm -hmm. Um, horseradish either Mm -hmm. like in the raw or like a horseradish spread salt and pepper and um i mean the eggs are a hard-boiled egg and poland and lots of other slavic countries of course are famous for their painted eggs in poland they're called uh, pisanki Mm -hmm. and usually it's a traditional homemade dye from boiled onion skins and that's what makes this beautiful uh like blood red color and that's the traditional Mm. a pisanki color though now of course you have any color under the sun imaginable so the egg painting in 
Poland has been around for arguably 5,000 years. Like if you look into the history, of course it goes around, but it's because it's encountered in lots of other Slavic cultures. It has kind of always been considered a bit talismanic Mm. and part of pagan ritual. And yeah, so that's why they've honed this craft you know, of egg painting. I mean, you can also think of like Fabergé eggs in Russia. Like this is all kind of part of that long tradition. Yeah. But yeah, so that's what's in the baskets. And then they're usually decorated with boxwood or buchspan uh, mm-hmm. to, you know, make it look kind of Eastery. I guess now we just think of like the green faux grass that you get. And then they're lined with like a white napkin. But you take the basket to church, you get it blessed. And then you take it and have like a picnic with your family or you take it to the home or sometimes they'll leave it as an offering in the church to right. the resurrected Christ. And then you either go to mass at 6am. So mm-hmm. on Krakow on Easter, I was walking around at about 10am um, and it was just dead quiet. There were a few people around because you go to mass and you participate in the ceremonial service and procession. Mm-hmm. And then you go home to eat breakfast and, yep. um, you know, you have things where you share like a Chris, like a wafer, an opwatek, and you sing joyful hallelujah, and then you all share Easter eggs with one another. So very communal, oh. and that's kind of when we talk about, I guess, Jewish origins. It makes me think of that. Mm-hmm. And then the breakfast is like a meat lover's heaven. It's cold meats, and it's like ham, sausage, roast meats, pate, eggs the horseradish relish and bread. And it's like apparently highly decadent. I haven't actually participated in one, but I have friends who have and have researched it. And then you have a crap ton of cakes. Oh my God, yum. Lots of babka cakes. You mm. also have a mazurek, which is like a, uh, it's a cake with a big layer of icing. And usually it's with like poppy seeds, like a mm. poppy seed um, paste that's really good. Or you have a cheesecake, a sernik. Wow. Uh, tasty. Yeah. So tasty. Really heavy food. Yeah. Well, celebrations always involve that, don't they? Yeah. But um, yeah, and then you just spend the day together. But one other like Polish tradition, and I wonder if there's anything related to this in like Italy or elsewhere that y- you know of, Ello. So I was warned by my supervisor when I told her I was going to be um, going back to Warsaw on the Easter Monday. And she was like, don't wear white. And try to stay inside. And I was like, Oh, why? I, I was like, Why, Ella? That's my, su- my old supervisor's yeah. name. And she was from Poland. And she's like, Well, it's known as Schnigus Dingus, Wet Monday. And it's a tradition where boys throw water over girls with buckets of water and spank them with willow branches. And apparently, it's like gorilla war water bottles now where like from balconies, water balloons. And I mean, a lot of it's just young boys splashing water on one another. But traditionally it is, I mean, if you look at paintings from the Middle Ages or any new modern era of like women being, yeah, like doused in water. Um, I don't recall why this is. Yeah. I did not look into it, but, you know, potentially problematic. But luckily... I did not get water splashed. I remember Good. walking terrified from central Warsaw from the train station to <laughs> where <laughs> I was staying, which is about a 15 minute walk. Cause I was staying near um, the Chopin school of music. And I was like, Oh my God, 
you're going to die. Doused. I'm terrified. I didn't, I actually didn't really see anybody splashing water oh. around, but apparently it's like still a very prevalent tradition. Practice. Yeah, tradition. Yeah. But I think it's also kind of, you know, fun to have these sequence of events around Easter. I do think it's like a very nice communal. Yeah. I, I've never heard of this, but, um, that's so like I don't know if there's any equivalent in Italy. There may have been something back in some the day sort or yeah, something. back like some sort of celebration back in the day, but not that not recently. Yeah, I mean it that would be something interesting to like Google and look into. Yeah. So yeah, today. Yeah. <laughs> that was a nice sorry, that was a long storytelling, but it was just it oh, it was a really great. lovely experience though, to like I mean, growing up in America, even with a minimal you know or light christian upbringing nothing compared to just walking through poland and experiencing it i mean it was very powerful yeah and i kind of wish i space in a way yeah if i would have spoken more polish like more fluently i would have maybe tried to have gone to mass but Mm. i was terrified (laughs) to go uh just because i didn't want to be disrespectful yeah but so we are recording today sunday the 28th which happens to be Palm Sunday. That's always mm-hmm. the Sunday before. In Poland, it's Niedziela Palmowa. So you take palms to the church. But today is also the first day of Passover, Pesach. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then Eastern Orthodox and other Orthodox non-Western Christian uh, faith, it's the beginning of Pasha, which yeah. is related to all of that. So. Yes. This year is actually a special kind of um, Easter season Mm -hmm. because on the calendars, the way that Easter orients, the full moon, Jewish Passover overlap, and then astronomical Easter and Gregorian Easter overlap with one another. Usually there's lots of different kind of dates, but this year is a year where they fall in line, which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah, definitely a, a, a strange sequence of events isn't it yeah hopefully like this aligning of everything is a signifier for the aligning of the universe yet again you know and the escape of a pandemic chaos time I am (laughs) I'm really unrelated but I'm very sick of this yeah I mean again I'm such a homebody and whatnot I'm like sick of it but I'm not I was out last weekend going to a bakery to pick up some birthday like pastries and there were so many people out and I like almost had a panic attack and started crying so yeah. I know for myself this is going to be a very long journey yeah yeah <laughs> Ello, in your research for today on Easter do you have any like tidbits that you want to share to get us going or do you just want to start with the history let's start with the history cool so Easter related yes. to Passover Yes. Like one of the most significant holy weeks in Judaism. And they're both related to like positivity and light occurring Mm -hmm. and emerging. And I didn't know that. I remember like this being explained to me when I was about 10, like how Easter is calculated because, of course, it jumps around, right? It's always Mm -hmm. on a Sunday, but the day it's on, like date wise, there's. It is kind of a reason. It's confusing. Yeah. What I think it might be suggested that it kind of like they started calculating it slightly differently. Is that possible? Yeah. So 
now we celebrate uh, Easter Sunday on the first full moon after the vernal equinox. Yeah. So there's lots of different ways you could say this. It's also like the ecclesiastical lunar calendar. So it's a movable feast, mm-hmm. which means it's not on a fixed date. Yes. And the Gregorian or Julian calendars, which follow the cycle of the sun. So that's a mm-hmm. solar calendar. Yeah. Rather, Easter's date is based off the date of Passover, yeah. or related to, and is therefore based on a lunar solar yeah. calendar. So moon and sun. Yeah. Similar to the Hebrew calendar, which if I'm correct, is lunar solar, lunar oriented. Yeah. And then in 325 uh, AD, I had to think, I was like BCs before Christ. Yeah. So AD after death or yeah. uh, CE Common Era, was the first council of Nicaea, which established two rules. Independence from the Jewish calendar, because yes. up until then, Christian communities would be in conversation with the Jewish communities about their calendar and when Passover is going to be to make sure that Easter was celebrated at the proper time. Yeah. Independence of the Jewish calendar to create a worldwide uniformity mm-hmm. that... Easter was going to be on this Sunday after. And yeah. that's because of the Last Supper occurring on Maundy Thursday. Yeah. During Pass, what do we call now? But it's part of Passover. So it's like really complex, but also makes sense if you're familiar with like the terms and names yeah, of everything. Sure. Um, the First Council of Nicaea was also to try to work through all these different controversies of when and what, because as we discussed in our Christmas episode, the birth of Jesus is never like explicitly established, but no. because of his death in, in the Passover season and like calculations, Christ's birthday around the winter equinox made sense as well as symbolically makes sense because the birth of the savior occurs at the same time that days start to get longer or light emerges from, you know, the shortest day of the year back into progression of light. Yeah. Um, So we don't really have details on like the computation of how and why per se, aside from just acknowledging these patterns with the Jewish calendar, but it took like centuries to get this nailed down like it wasn't yeah. just like oh 325 we figured this out here we go it's the same every year like there were there were still controversies confusion yeah uh, you know and everything but it has come in over the centuries and I guess now millennia be the first Sunday after the ecclesiastical full moon that occurs on or soonest after the 21st of March yeah which as we know is like the beginning of spring yeah it is an equinox and so this could be more related to the Gregorian calendar one year and then not the next year, more of like an astronomical full moon. So that's yeah. why if you go and like try to figure out the dates, like Wikipedia has a nice little helpful chart, uh, table of the dates of Easter. Yeah. Why it has full moon, Jewish Passover, astronomical Easter, Gregorian Easter, and then Julian Easter, because it shows like all the different dates that these things could and do fall oh, on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like in 2025, for example, that's going to be another big year. And I guess 2017 was one where there's just two dates 
full moon and Jewish Passover will be the 13th of April. And mm-hmm. then Astro Easter, Gregorian Easter, Julian Easter are all the 20th of April. That's so, so scary that they know this already. I mean, it makes sense, but it's just kind of yeah, scary. Like, with the calculations, right? Yeah, but for yeah. some reason, it does seem to just kind of like magically manifest itself. It's really kind of creepy. I find this bit. <laughs> but this year, as we said, 28th of March, today, the full moon. I yes. didn't like... Didn't know that. that. Living in the UK and it's dark and I'm just not as attuned as I should be to... Um, no. Well, yeah, I mean, it's fine. We don't live in the countryside. Like, we actually aren't really that affected by the yeah. moon, unfortunately. But I'm trying to become a bit more aware because with my current research, looking at elemental theory and humoral theory and everything, and it's like, we are one with the elements. Yeah, no, yeah. And in not, like spiritual way but like in an actual we are literally made of like carbon and oxygen nitrogen hydrogen and like yes the moon does have effects on the earth because of gravity and like tidal waves and things so I'm like trying to become a bit more aware but yeah it's just gray in Manchester right now (laughs) but yeah so Jewish Passover starts today Pesach first day of Passover Easter is April 4th, as we know, week from today, which, what the heck, April. This March went by so fast compared to last March, which was a century and a half. Oh, my God. That's (laughs) so true. I feel like time goes, we've had this conversation before, but time goes by really fast and really slowly at the same time. Yeah, I was talking with my friend Marinka, and I, like, had this realization that, so in the final season of Angel, the spinoff series from Buffy, there's a character oh, yeah. named Illyria who um, has mystical powers and they start to get kind of like overloaded uh, because of the form that she has taken, which is like in a human body. And she's a, uh, arguably like a God anyways. So her like sense of time starts to get really fucked up. Yeah. And so she's like jumping through time forwards and backwards and like getting really confused and overwhelmed by it and I was just like that's how time feels right now I know just non-linear just kind of a like according to you know like the good place a very Jeremy Baramy feeling of all over literally true um so yeah Easter's a bit like that year by year yeah I remember I think when I was in middle school we had Easter like March 25th or something like that. I remember they like sat down and tried to explain it to us. And we were like, what are you saying? I don't understand. <laughs> it's a very strange celebration that we put ourselves through in a way. So the name Easter, mm-hmm. you're like, this is an interesting name. Like, where does this come from? So the only like relation to the name Easter that we have been able to like find is in relation to St. Bede, mm-hmm. who recorded like the ecclesi- ecclesiastical history of England. He's a British monk. And he says that it's related to a pre-Christian goddess named in England named Eostre. I could have mm. just butchered that. It is E-O-S-T-R-E, <laughs> who is celebrated at the beginning of spring. Yeah. And so the only reference to this goddess comes from Bede who lived in the late 7th and early 8th century. And so Bede writes that the month in which English Christians were celebrating the resurrection of Jesus had been called Yosermonath in Old English, 
referring to a goddess named Yostra. And even though Christians had begun affirming the Christian meaning of the celebration, they continued to use the name of the goddess to designate the season. Yeah. But Bede was such an influential scholar mm. for later Christians that this name stuck. And hence, Easter is the name that we use in English. Uh, Germans use it. Americans refer to it for this festival of, Jew- of Jesus's resurrection. Yeah. But in as we were saying earlier in Greek Slavic speaking, they go by Pasha, which is a name for Jesus. And that's related to the Greek Latin and Hebrew. Yeah. Pesach. Yeah. Which is Passover. Yes. Yeah. And that's also the, like those words can in certain translations be Passover or Easter. It depends on the context. It's so interesting how like the translation of the word implicates a difference in meaning but also in celebration yeah etymology is fascinating yeah just the way that it it like it so shapes the way that we experience and live the world yeah and experience like culture so yeah now we're getting to the the jewish hebrew part yes (laughs) sorry if this is a bit of a jeremy baramy all over the place everyone (laughs) it's kind of hard to find a way that's like yeah, it's not like easily structurable. Yeah. So in the Hebrew Bible, right, Passover is a festival that commemorates the liberation of the Jewish people from slavery in Egypt, yeah. as narrated in the book of Exodus. Yes. And this continues to be the most important Jewish seasonal festival. Mm-hmm. And it is celebrated on the first full moon after the vernal equinox. As we know, Jesus' time, Passover had special significance. Yeah. As the Jewish people were again under the dominance of foreign powers, yeah. namely the Romans, right? Yes. We know this. And so Jewish pilgrims went to Jerusalem every year yeah. in the hope that God's chosen people, as yeah. they believe themselves to be, would soon be liberated once more. Yeah. And so Jesus travels to Jerusalem yes. with his disciples to celebrate the festival of Passover. Mm-hmm. You know, and he enters Jerusalem in a triumphal procession uh, and creates the famous, infamous disturbance at the Jerusalem temple. Yeah. Which, of course, attract attention of the Romans. And this leads to Jesus's crucifixion in the year AD 30. So, and then, of course, there's, this is where Judaism and Christianity start to converge because Jesus is a figure. Just mm-hmm. like he's a figure, I believe, in uh, like the Quran. Like he's not denied as a prophet or as a figure that existed, but as like the Messiah, capital M, yeah, the Savior. And this is the, you know, belief that three days after his burial, Jesus is alive after his death. And hence Christianity, right, that Jesus is all man and all divine. And that was also yeah. established at the... Uh, Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. This also, we'll get back to Judaism. Sorry, I'm just going to really quickly say that uh, the resurrection of Christ to um, on the same date of Jewish Passover used to be celebrated, which was around the 14th day of the month of Nisan. Nisan, N-I-S-A-N. I don't think, maybe it's pronounced the same as the car brand. I don't know. (laughs) No disrespect. I'm just like, I don't know how it's pronounced. 
Sorry. I don't either. Um, Which is in March or April by the Gregorian calendar. And those Christians were like, no, it's the 14th of the month of Nisan, were known as quarto decimans, the name literally meaning the 14ers. So yep. they're trying to make it a non-movable feast, but like an actual like Christmas, you know, like the 25th. So this is the 14th. And by doing so, they put focus on when Jesus died and also emphasize the continuity with Judaism out of which Christianity emerges. Yep. Um, but then others were like, no, it should be on a Sunday since that's the day of the week that Jesus's tomb was believed to have been found and to have been found empty. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, wait, no, Jesus. It's because he's alive and he's around. <laughs> if you're like 325, that sounds like a year that has, you know, an emperor that I should know. You are correct because that's Constantine, who we know favored Christianity. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he gets together a bunch of bishops at the time for the Council of Nicaea, and they were like, we're going to make some decisions about Christ. And with that Easter, let's kind of get some uh, continuity going along yeah. here. <laughs> so, yes, fully human, fully divine. It's a paradox. For millennia, this has been debated. It's still confusing. But Jesus, 100% God, 100% man. Yes. He can be both. Easter is fixed on a Sunday, but not the 14th. The first Sunday after the full moon of the vernal equinox. <laughs> I am repeating myself, but it's because I'm also trying to make sense of this. As we I feel like it's one of those things where, like, you know, you read it and you're like, okay, 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 this makes sense. And then you try to explain it and you're like, no. Yes. How so, does this all link together? <laughs> but it does coincide with the start of Passover, as I was saying, because of the Last Supper being directly related to Passover. Yeah. So you can't separate the two because then you would be having the Last Supper at a time that's just unrelated to this festival season. And that's something that I think is sometimes overlooked. I'm trying to reach back in my mind to studying the Old Testament. You said the New Testament. Testament. Well, yeah, I went to a Roman Catholic high school. So we had uh, first year was world religions for a term. And then um, we had modern day Christianity. So we were supposed to learn about the different councils and like rules in the Catholic church. Yeah. And what the sacraments are. And then the second year we had a term that was Old Testament. And then you had New Testament. And I just remember the Old Testament. I was like, this is confusing. And there's lots of dates that are, I'm just, I'm not like an ancient studies person. Yeah. I'm not good at remembering the like shifts between uh, BC and AD. Like I get confused with them. I'm just not, my brain struggles unless it's like way, way before. But when you get into like five BC to uh, 16 AD. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what is the math? What is But I don't recall us like discussing Easter. I just remember we had like two lectures in a row about Jesus being all man and all human. Yeah. And my teacher like really trying to nail it home. I think because she was like a spiritual person. So she was trying to have us experience that spiritually where I was like, doesn't make, you know, like it doesn't make sense. But if it's supposed to make sense and not make sense simultaneously, I can run with that. 
if that's a question on like the test, I'll know the answer because yes, it's a paradox. I was yeah. at that mindset. I was 15, 16. So I mean, I think that's I pretty that good though. So yeah, but this so much, I think we've talked about this in the past where like the old Testament is a huge foundation of the Torah. Like, yeah. We say Judeo-Christian, but I feel like at times because, you know, as we were speaking with Sarah last week, um, especially in the Middle Ages, Jews were considered like the scapegoats and yeah. bad. And it's like, no, you come from the same roots. Like, yeah, it's interesting. We um, we had the at UCL. Um, I took a class taught by um, Tamar Garb. And so at one point she um, gave us quite a few articles on like the history of you know, the perception of Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting how, like, that scapegoat attitude, you know, pervaded throughout the centuries. Yeah, it's... I mean, it's not interesting. It's kind of horrifying, but it's it's definitely something that, you know, needs to be... It's something that if you don't think about it because of the way our s- culture is structured, you don't really mm-hmm. really realizing realize it. Definitely. And especially because everyone kind of, you know, looks at the Holocaust and that like as the case example of, you know, Jewish scapegoating and Mm. massacre and kind of like blacklisting. There's another word and I just can't think what it is. Persecution. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, horrible. But numerically, yes, one of the worst if not the worst, but that has been kind of like a manifestation and a problem for millennia with the Jewish faith. I mean, Exodus is about the Jews escaping Egypt because they were enslaved and persecuted there. Yep. So yeah, it is an unfortunate cycle in history that needs to change and like anti-Semitism needs to be eradicated. And it's so repulsive when you see it like appearing with now modern yeah like newscasters or in films it's like educate yourselves yeah and pull your head out of your ass like yeah it's also kind of like it's sad when when like this has happened with academics as well where you know you kind of have a mm narrow-sided way of viewing things yeah it's I just like I don't understand anti-Semitism like at like the the core of it or like the I mean same with racism I guess like I I know that culturally I have been raised in a certain way and I definitely have biases and prejudices that I am like working through yeah but when people are extreme and vocal about it it's just like I don't understand we're all humans like agreed um, so I guess I'm thinking like the extreme cases again not the microaggressions that we may have um, yeah, definitely. But back to the the, yeah, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the chat, the history. So Passover, if it's about largely about Egypt, right? And the the leaving, the exodus from Egypt, the flight from Egypt. Easter is largely about Passover, one could say. Yeah. And so this bit that I'm going to kind of discuss, it comes from mylearning.com mm-hmm. because I'm not, I had to like see yeah, what the perspectives were. Yeah, yeah. But this all comes from the Jewish Theological Seminary, which is where Sarah mm-hmm. Decker studied. So I'm taking this at, you know, primarily face value for yeah. 
where it comes from. Like it's not just a random blog page yeah. by someone's grandma. <laughs> so they're saying that, you know, historical setting, Jerusalem at Passover, and that the Last Supper could well have been an embryonic Seder, beginnings of, which Seder is unique to Passover, the Passover Seder. And it's a ritual feast that marks the beginning of the Jewish holiday of Passover. Yeah. It's conducted throughout the world on the eve of the 15th day of Nisan Yeah, in the Hebrew calendar. Yeah. And Passover, which starts today, lasts for seven days in Israel and eight days outside Israel. And isn't it also like the beginning of the counting of the Omer? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the beginning of a lot of things. Um, And so there are usually one or two seders observed. Yeah. In Israel, one is observed on the first night of Passover. So that would be tonight. Yeah. And many Jewish diaspora communities hold a second Seder also on the second night. So that would be Monday. And it's ritual performed by a community, uh, by multiple generations of a family, involving a retelling of the story of the liberation of the Israelites from slavery in ancient Egypt. Yeah. So the book of Exodus, also known as Shemot in the Hebrew Bible. Yes. And the Seder itself is based on the biblical verse commanding Jews to retell the story of Exodus from Egypt, quote, you shall tell your child on that day, saying, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt, end quote, Exodus 13, 8. And traditionally, friends and family gather in the evening to read the text of the Haggadah, an ancient work derived from the Mishnah. The Haggadah contains the narrative of the Israelite exodus from Egypt, special blessings and rituals, commentaries from the Talmud, and special Passover songs. Um, And if you've ever watched the um, show Transparent, I know that Jeffrey Tambor has, you know, like the issues with that and everything, but they're a Jewish family and they celebrate a Seder that's like really beautiful in it because they're Mm -hmm. all Jewish in the show and that's like a core element. Yeah. Um, so for pop culture kind of reference, if you wanted to see what one is like, they do. I'm not watch that show. Would you recommend it? Yes. I think that it was a really important show. It just had unfortunate circumstances okay. revolve around it in regard to, um, Jeffrey Tambor with like some verbal abuse and potentially like physical mm. assault of a transgendered character on the set. Okay. But I also do think the show addresses a lot of important like elements of transgender lives, Jewish lives, family lives, and everything. So I would say yes. Just yeah. go into it knowing maybe some of the back story. Yeah. Story okay. of things. Yeah. That makes sense. So yeah, the Last Supper could have been a Seder, right? A, a coming yeah. together. And then Jesus is fated to become the partial lamb. Mm-hmm. And it says, indeed, the new catechism of the Catholic Church calls Easter, quote, the Christian Passover. I'm assuming the new catechism, it says number 1170. I'm not sure if that's like a line or a rule, but it's something yeah. in the catechism. And speaks of, quote, the paschal mystery of Christ's cross. And that's number 57. And again, this is from my Jewish learning. And then this death of Jesus has, this death of one has the capacity to save many. And again, yeah. that's a core element of Christianity. Yeah. And the resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate affirmation of life, or in the words of this Byzantine liturgy, Christ is risen from the dead. Dying, he conquered death. To the dead, he has given life. So finally, because the message of both festivals is central to the belief system of each faith 
mm-hmm. their community, it interlaces the liturgy year round. Yeah. So, you know, we think of like Christmas as being like an epicenter in Christianity, but it's actually Easter and Je- Jesus's death and resurrection that's the most important and therefore the epicenter from which everything else falls and progresses. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And then this exodus from Egypt becomes really important in Judaism. uh, And it eventually becomes part of the Shema, a prayer that is said twice daily to which like the bedrock of Judaism is affirmed where you tell your family twice a day, you remind them twice a day of the Jews persecution and escape from. Yeah. I just think it's really beautiful how they're like interrelated I think it's quite cool is not the right word because that's not very academic, but like that this year they like overlap so much. Yeah. And also our podcast falls, you know, on yeah. Easter. That's so nice. I know. Or around it's Easter quite, season. It is quite it's quite well planned, despite us not really planning it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just kinda happened, but it kinda happened in like in a great cool way. way. Yeah. And um I guess one other kind of difference between Passover and Easter is that Passover is considered much more communal. I mean, you have the Seder, which is everyone coming together. And Easter, it is communal, but it's also about the individual, like the individual salvation. Yeah. So there is that kind of slight splitting of the two where you're together, you escape together, you celebrate together. Easter is the individual then uniting all. Yeah. I was looking at um, the different types of foods that you have during, you know, the Passover mm-hmm. and they look really good. I think what I would really want to try is Passover noodles. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which are noodles prepared from potato flour and eggs served in, in soup and the batter is fried. I don't mm-hmm. know. I'm sorry. This is kind of kind of like divergence, but it, it, I'm kind of obsessed with food right now. <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds great. I've never had Passover noodles, but I have Jewish friends who have had them and they say they're really good. It sounds good. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, and like matzo balls. Yeah. Love. Mm. Oh, so good. Especially homemade ones, ones that aren't just from a box. Mm-hmm. And then I guess speaking of food, yeah. this brings us to, you know, like, well, now we're in capital Easter era mm-hmm. where we've got Easter bunnies and Easter eggs. And how the fuck does that relate to <laughs> <laughs> Passover and Jesus's resurrection? And so these are new manifestations. Yeah. Naturally. Though not, you know, like 1950s. I mean, we're talking modern era, so 17th century, 18th century. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the egg, the hard-boiled egg, actually symbolically in Christianity is considered uh, twofold. So it's the the tomb of Christ. It's the the empty tomb because it's a blank surface but also the birthing of new life, of potentiality. And then, of course, you can just color the shell and kind of make that whatever you want it to be. The Easter bunny or Easter rabbit and eggs is something that kind of comes with the turn of perspective regarding children in the early modern to modern era. So prior to this, children were just kind of seen as small adults and like – just lower class adults, you know, rather than children. However, from the 17th century onward, it kind of becomes acknowledged, you know, slowly, but certain things change where it's like, oh no, children are children. And like childhood shouldn't be always like work and dreary because that's just what the rest of life is. So this like, you know, discovery of childhood 
shock <laughs> leads to um, kind of like a, a doting upon children or a treatment of children as different or special. So this is when like Easter eggs and the Easter bunny come into, they become introduced because you have these holidays that are quite heavy, right? They're quite loaded. So you have to go to mass and all these things. But how do you make them accessible? So we know that Easter eggs have been, the decorating of the eggs has been around since at least the medieval times, part of the festival for the symbolism of new life, as we just said. And there's lots of different types of folklore that you could go into about Easter eggs especially Eastern European countries. Also, eggs are just so accessible, right? Like lots of birds, every bird lays it. Lots of birds lay eggs. All birds lay eggs. Uh, um, So you can get, like they're easy, not easy to find, but like chickens lay them. It's not something that is bound to the season per se, like certain flowers or something. Um, And it's a resource that does no harm to decorate it and then consume it. Like you can decorate it and leave it be, and that's fine. Or you can decorate it and then subsequently consume it. So these have been used, you know, traditionally. Germany, like lots of like Western European holiday traditions, is the one that influenced us. I mean, like Christmas trees are from pagan, you know, German yeah. area, right? So they had the Easter hare, who would bring eggs to good children. Oh. Um, and hare and rabbits have a long association with the spring season. Because of, you know, their fertility, breed like a rabbit, make like rabbits, however you want. Um, So they're like seen as this like very fecund symbol. Yeah. And then when the German immigrants come to America, you know, they bring this tradition with them. And the hare eventually becomes kind of supplanted or replaced by the much more docile, domestic and like, you know, cute looking rabbit rather than the hair, because hairs are quite wiry. They're fast. They can look a little uh, frightening at times. And, you know, again, that's like another focus towards children. You want something kind of cute and fluffy yeah. rather than demonic. I don't know, <laughs> not demonic, yeah. but like, <laughs> and then, you know, with children and like celebrations, you, as we were saying earlier, you have cakes and sugar figures and other things. And just chocolate gets introduced slowly because, you know, it's discovered through the era of exploration. Yeah. So, you know, 1500s, 1600s, 1700s, and just the trickle-down effect of this being like a very expensive, wealthy commodity into something that's just much more accessible. And same with sugar. Um, Sugar is also related to colonialism and expedition era. um, And so being able to like sweeten naturally rather than just with something that's maybe not as effective in the, you know, candy making process, like a honey or something like that. So sweets become just easier and cheaper to manufacture and produce. Yeah. I was actually researching it and like the Italian, like the thing that I told you, the Colomba, like kind of sweet, Mm -hmm. it used to be a bread um, shaped as a dove. um, The dough basically with time. And like accessibility to sugar became a sweet treat. Right. Yeah. And you also have that with like mince pies and things mm. like that. You know, like that used to have meat mints in it. That's- yeah, it makes sense, right? Like meat, meat mints, like it is in the word. I mean, that's what I thought. Like I remember I was introduced to mince pies in Harry Potter. Uh, oh, like, okay. Fair enough. And they were eating mince pies and they're like, they're so good. And after dinner, I was like, it- <laughs> what? And then when I moved to the UK, I learned, oh, no, it's like now it's mince because of how you chop the nuts. You mince them. Yeah, yeah. I but, wish 
Yeah. I, I wish the audience could have seen your face of like, no, what are you doing? What are you talking about? That was about? so confusing. <laughs> it reminds me, you know, of like Rachel and Friends and their uh, pudding oh that God. she makes. <laughs> that is that such was... a funny, funny, funny episode. Yeah, that was kind of like what I was thinking of when I first learned about mince pies. It's like, is it this weird? And to be fair, it's a stereotype that British people can't cook, so. Yeah. <laughs> very true. Very true. That's, yeah, funny. I mean, to be fair... It might have been good in a way, maybe not with all the cream, but you know, like I've had burgers that have like raspberry jam on them yeah. and it's good. It is yeah. like the sweet and savory, just maybe not to that mm. extent. And I think there were like bananas in it or something. And so yeah. that's where you're like, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, my grandma makes apple pie, then she has cheddar cheese with it or cheese. Oh, which kinda, I, it actually works quite well, actually. I really like it. But, um, yeah, so, you know, I can kind of see that a little bit. And just in case you were like, Oh, other Easter tradition things like Cadbury eggs. How long have those been around? So the first Easter egg in 1875 was manufactured by British chocolate company Cadbury. Yeah. Sponsors the annual Easter egg hunt, which takes place in over 250 National Trust locations in the UK. I didn't know they did that. Not surprised, but uh, this is based off Wikipedia. So don't shoot me if I'm wrong. And then Easter Monday. The president of the United States holds an annual Easter egg roll on the White House lawn for young children. And they like have special Easter eggs that are painted with like white, the White House on it and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if they, did they do that whilst Trump was elected? I think so. But I think last year it was like a big controversy on whether or not to hold it or not. I don't remember if they did because a lot of things with Trump, I just kind of tuned out on American politics because I couldn't. And then it was a pandemic. So I double couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> Shame on me, but that was my coping mechanism. I'm curious, Ello. So you know how Rankin Bass made like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and The Year Without Santa Claus. Are those things that you're aware of, like the holiday films? Yeah, no? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, like the stop motion. Did you know that they made one in 1971 for Easter? Here comes Peter Cottontail. I did not, but I'm not surprised. It is on YouTube. I recommend oh, it. Is it good? I haven't watched it in years. I, I do plan on watching it Easter this year. Um, but I enjoyed it because if I recall, he's Peter Cottontail, you know, is the Easter bunny. And he's like trying to figure out when to deliver these eggs. And he like does St. Patrick's Day eggs. And I remember painting them green and like that didn't work. And I think he tried Christmas eggs. Yeah. I guess it also just kind of shows the transition of the times. Like an Easter special was made, but now it's not shown anymore. Though the Christmas ones still are because it's a bit of a larger, less theologically bound holiday in a sense kind of it's weird also charlie brown did an easter special and like snoopy's the easter bunny kind of and like paints eggs and is tossing them around so yeah i guess just like pop culture wise those are things that like there are easter movies so it's quite interesting though like obviously because christmas is much more commercial in a way right but then you think about easter and it's like going into the shops right now there's so much Easter stuff here. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And thinking in America, like Peeps. Are mm. Peeps a thing out here? No, I, I've no. never heard of them, but that doesn't mean that they're not, you know. They're marshmallow-shaped rabbits or, like, chicks. Mm. They're, like, hot pink. So they're marshmallows cut in these shapes and then colored powder, colored sugar, grain, granule sugar on them. Yeah. They're kind of disgusting and also good. Yeah, I know what you mean. I'll, I'll, I'll ask um, James's sister because she tends to know she's my reference for sweets. Mm, okay. 
so yeah, you're thinking about it. I'm like, oh yeah, Easter is kind of capitalistic, you know. Food wise, yeah. But then, yeah, also not. It's I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. Sure. So hopefully you learned something today about <laughs> Easter in the you know um, convoluted way that we talked about it and its intimate relationship to Passover. And it's not. We didn't necessarily look at like the medieval relation to it, but that's something for potentially another episode. Yeah. But it of course, is one can imagine like a huge procession in the Middle Ages and huge feasts and celebrations yeah. around Easter. Yeah. I mean, so, also, isn't it the time like kind of when it was like um, where there are just more vegetables in season in mm-hmm. terms of like how you like with the first things that come through? I'm thinking of things like asparagus and other kind of vegetables like that. So that like I can imagine that being kind of like one of those processions with lots of that kind of food and vegetables around. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely is the beginning of the time of plenty mm. because, you know, of course, animals also start giving birth to their young. Yeah. The days are longer, there's flowers. And of course, with flowers, yes, more plants blooming, um, waking up from their dormancy in the holiday yeah. season. So, yes, definitely a time of like positivity, which should be channeled now. Definitely. At least here in the UK as we start our roadmap out of the pandemic. Hellhole. <laughs> uh, any final thoughts, Ello? Um, no, but we just wanted to let you know that we won't be releasing episodes in the next two weeks. Yes, we'll be coming back in late April, which is kind of odd to say, even though we're just taking two weeks off. But that's just kind of how the world is coming together. Yeah. So we'll be coming back on April 19th for you all. But we have a little surprise for you. Um, as you know, we recorded an episode with Sarah Decker and we uh, guested on her podcast. So yes, so next week next week on Easter Sunday. Exciting. Yeah. So we will have all the information for that up on our social media. And sh- I'm assuming she'll be tagging us as well. So you so, will yeah. get a little bit of us where we'll be with her speaking yet again on disenchantment, but we go more in depth. Yeah. This time. Definitely- watched it all at that point <laughs> yeah hello will have <laughs> gotten much further than the four episodes she was at and i <laughs> it was two <laughs> two oh okay i was benefit of the doubt hello <laughs> and yes i had finished season three though sarah was only in the first season so we didn't yeah. want to spoil so it's still rather season yeah two and it's three, kind of like three. ambiguous just like yes yes no but yeah that kind of happens but we're not gonna tell you more <laughs> Right. But if you want to hear a bit more of like a medieval conversation about the show, definitely, definitely check out our really fun guest. Yeah. So if you've enjoyed this episode and would like to listen to more, you can find us on most um, podcast platforms on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Audible, YouTube, just type Modern Medieval Podcast. If you like to interact with us, you can find us on social media. We're on Instagram, just type podcast.modern.medieval. We are on Facebook. We've got both a page and a group. Just type Modern Medieval Podcast. And we are on email. Just type modern.medieval.podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. And then finally, we're on Twitter. You can find us under the handle at medieval underscore modern. Feel free to tag us, tweet at us, etc. We love the interaction. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. We're getting close to 2,500 downloads all time. It's incredible. Thank which, you. yeah, has just been really exciting to see us grow our we and spread our wings just a tiny bit yeah exactly <laughs> so until next time i'm megan 
and I'm Ella, and this is Modern Medieval Podcast. Ooh.